Welcome to the Tao of Christ. This is Marshall Davis. The Tao of Christ is the podcast which explores the mystical, unitive, and contemplative side of Christianity. In particular, it explores Christian non-duality or non-dualism, also called the unitive life in union with God, which I tend to call unitive awareness. A while ago, a clergy friend read my book on Christian non-duality and then asked me, do you really preach this stuff? I replied, yes, I do, but I do so very carefully. By that I mean that I preach it from Scripture and in a way that people in traditional Christian churches can hear the message. Today on this podcast, I am presenting one of those sermons. This one was preached earlier this month, September 1st, 2019, at the Moultonboro United Methodist Church in Moultonboro, New Hampshire. The scripture texts that I used for the day were Matthew 4, 12-17 and Matthew 13, 11-17. They are both read in part as part of the sermon, so I did not include them in this podcast at the, at the beginning of the message. Also, this was recorded through the church's sound system using a lapel mic, so the Audio may not be as clear as a normal podcast episode, so please keep that in mind. The title of the message is The Kingdom of God. What was Jesus' central message? If you could sum it up in one word or one phrase or one sentence, what would it be? I think if you asked most people that question, they would say love. But when you actually read through the Gospels to see what Jesus actually says, that's not the case. Now, Jesus did talk about love. It was important to him. On one occasion when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, you know, Jesus' response, that it was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength and to love our neighbor as, as ourselves. Also, at the Last Supper, you remember that he gave the what he called a new commandment, which was to love one another. He said, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So love was a part of Jesus' message, and it's an important part, and it's connected to what I'm going to be talking about today. But I think that the, that love was not the, the main thing that Jesus was talking about. Jesus was not a first century John Lennon going around the countryside singing love, love, love. Love is all there is. I'm not going to try to sing it. <laughs> so what was Jesus' message? Well, you can tell by the title of my message today that is the kingdom of God. Christian liberalism... Uh, had a little bit different take on it in the early 20th century. They, they said, they summed up Jesus' message by the phrase fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. That uh, was a phrase made famous by German theologian and church historian Adolf von Harnack. By these days, no liberal would use words like fatherhood and brotherhood, not quite inclusive enough. And anyway, that's not what Jesus' message was anyway. According to the Gospels, Jesus' earliest and most repeated message was simply this kingdom of God. It was summed up in, the, in one of the verses in our first reading today. Repent, 
for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, there are slight variations on this, depending on which gospel you're reading from. The gospel of Matthew, which is what we heard from today, uses the phrase kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. And that was because he was writing to a a Jewish community that did not use the word God. The kingdom of God was also the message of Jesus's forerunner, John the Baptist, according to the Gospels, Jesus' message was simply the kingdom of God. All of his parables were about the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And I call to worship this morning. We, we mentioned quite a few of those parables. And your pastor Bob has been preaching on these parables all, all summer long. All Jesus' parables were a way to come at his central teaching of the kingdom of God. To sum it up, his message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Let's first take the phrase, the kingdom of God. Now, as Americans, we don't really know a whole lot about kings and kingdoms. America broke away from the king of England, over 240 years ago, and as much as Americans swoon over the English royals and are fascinated by Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and baby Archie, we really don't know much about kings, especially the sort of kings that ruled kingdoms 2,000 years ago who are not like English monarchs today. The word kingdom does not communicate to us what the word did when Jesus used it in the first century. Now, many biblical scholars think that in talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus was expecting an imminent supernatural intervention by God in history in order to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up a Jewish earthly kingdom with his Messiah, called the Son of Man, as king. Jesus said very clearly that the kingdom of God was coming very soon in power. In fact, he said it was within the lifetimes of those who heard him speak those words. These are Jesus' actual words, according to Matthew. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. According to Mark's gospel, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God arrive with power. Now, those who take Jesus' words literally have a problem because no visible kingdom came crashing into history in the first century. For that reason, some paint Jesus as a failed apocalyptic preacher who got it wrong, someone who proclaimed a coming eschatological end of the world as we know it and a dramatic establishment of the reign of God on earth, but it didn't happen. And they see Jesus, therefore, much like these bearded prophet that you see in cartoons holding a sign wearing or built wearing a billboard proclaiming the end of the end is near. And there have been a lot of those types of preachers, especially in in America over the the centuries. Whole groups have arisen around them, Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists, 
were both started by preachers, Charles Russell and William Miller, who set dates for the end of the world, which didn't happen. Now, I don't think Jesus was that sort of doomsday preacher, and I don't think Jesus got it wrong. I don't think that is what Jesus meant by repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? What did he say about the kingdom of God? When he was on trial, Jesus told Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Listen now to this from the Gospel of Luke. It says, when asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God will not come with observable signs, nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is, for you see the kingdom of God is within you. Or as some translations put it, the kingdom of God is in your midst. On another occasion, recorded by Luke and Matthew, Jesus was casting out demons. And he said, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He is saying that the kingdom of God had already arrived. The Gospel of Thomas, which you won't find in your Bibles, but was written at the same time as the Gospels in our Bible, has a very similar saying says, his disciples said to him, on what day will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus said, it will not come while people watch for it. They will not say, look, here it is, or look, there it is. But the kingdom of the Father is spread out over the earth, and men do not see it. Clearly, part of what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God is something present here and now. Now, it might be more than that. That's what a lot of Christians focus on. They focus on the more than that. Many people, many Christians believe that there will be an apocalyptic end of the world, which can be dated by careful study of the books of Revelation and Daniel. And they will say that Jesus will physically descend from the sky and return to earth, and there will be a rapture, and people will disappear into thin air, and all the other stuff that you read in the Christian apocalyptic fiction and movies. I don't think so. I think that's a misinterpretation of Scripture. I think those Passages are intended to be interpreted spiritually and not literally, but I'll be the first to admit that I may be wrong. And if I am wrong, I will gladly admit it. When it happens, I will rejoice with my fellow Christians as we ascend up into the sky to meet the Lord in the air. But I think that the kingdom of God is much more than that, is much more than a future event. I believe it is a present reality, which is much more exciting than drawing charts detailing the end times. At least this is my experience of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not of this world. The kingdom of God is within us and in our midst. It is spread upon the earth and people do not see it except for those who have eyes to see, as Jesus said. What Jesus meant 
when he said that some would not taste death before they saw the kingdom of God coming in power, I think he was talking about people's eyes being opened in their lifetimes then and now to see the kingdom of God present. This is our birthright as children of God. Now, I've already started to move into my second point here. The first is the kingdom of God, and the second is what does it mean to say the kingdom of God is at hand? I think when he said that, that he means not near in time, or at hand in time, but near spiritually. I think when Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand, that he meant that it was close enough to reach out and touch, that it is here now. It's something that cannot be described or pointed to. Jesus said that. That's why Jesus taught in parables, tried to Describe the kingdom of God in parables. After giving the famous parable of the sower, Jesus', Jesus disciples asked him why he taught in parables. And he gave this response, which was our second gospel reading for today. I'll just read a part of it. Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Then he quotes Isaiah, who says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And then Jesus starts talking himself rather than quoting Isaiah. And he says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is right here, but lots of people don't see it. And we need the eyes to see. I think that every one of us here has seen it, at least at some point in our lives. We might not call it that. And we can see it now if we pay attention to it. Let me give you my own modern parables. The kingdom of God is like the starry heavens on a clear night. The kingdom of God is like the wonder of seeing an image through the Hubble telescope of hundreds of galaxies in a single photograph. The kingdom of God is like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. It is the view from the summit of one of our white mountains. It is the lake on a calm summer morning when there's not a ripple on the surface or a sound. It is a baby being born. It is what you sense when you are moved deep in your soul by great art or great music. It is what you experience in truly inspiring music, in truly inspiring Christian worship. It is what you experience in the depth of your soul, in quiet prayer, in silent meditation. We have all experience the kingdom of God. Every one of us, 
in the moments of our lives when we have felt wonder and awe at the beauty of God's creation. Nature is God's kingdom. Kingdom is mystery and majesty. In his book, The Idea of the Holy, Rudolf Otto described it as mysterium tremendum et fascinans, which means a mystery before which humanity both trembles and is fascinated, is drawn to, is both shaken at the depths of our being, yet also attracted to. It is what Moses experienced at the burning bush. It is what the prophet Isaiah experienced in the temple when he saw the holiness of the Lord of hosts. It is always right before our eyes, if we have the eyes to see. As Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. You know what I'm talking about. At least I'm assuming that you know. And that's why you're here. You're here because you have experienced God. You have experienced the presence of God at the best, highest, and deepest moments of your life. You have experienced the kingdom of God at those times when you have been overwhelmed by the holiness and the mystery and the majesty of existence. Jesus said that dwelling in the kingdom of God is not just for when we die and go to heaven. It's not a pie in the sky when we die by and by. It is not some future cataclysmic event in in history. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is here now. But we have to do one thing to see it, and that's my third point this morning. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The biblical word repent is another one of those words that is very badly misunderstood. It is often linked with words like remorse and regret. We think that to repent means to feel really, really bad. And only to admit that we have sinned so that God can forgive us. It is often accompanied by the promise of heaven and the threat of hell. Once again, it is often linked to street preachers and Bible thumpers who hit us over the head and tell us what terrible people we are, what horrible sinners we are. Now it is true that part of the word repent involves the ethical and the moral. But that's not the most basic meaning of the word. The word is much more of a theological word than it is an ethical or a moral one. That is what the Greek and the Hebrew words mean. Now, I know from experience, as soon as I start using words like Greek and Hebrew and Latin, that uh, people's eyes start to glaze over a little bit. So I'm going to Keep it simple here. The root of the English word repent, which is Latin, means to rethink. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. In the Hebrew word for repent, which is very similar to the Aramaic word that Jesus would have actually spoken, means to turn around. It means to turn back or return. If you've seen the musical Godspell, it's a song about this. It says, turn back, O man. They got it right. A priest and a rabbi were standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that said, the end is near, turn around before it's too late. A car drove by, the driver put down down the window and yelled, leave us alone, you crazy nuts, religious nuts. Then he sped off and they watched as the car went around the curve and they heard the screeching of brakes and a big splash. 
do you think, said one clergy to the other, we should just put up a sign saying, bridge out. (laughs) Repent means to turn around spiritually. It means to turn around and face God. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word for repent is the most interesting at all. The Greek word used in our gospel reading today means after the mind or beyond the mind. So we're talking about a change in the way we think about God and the presence of God, a transformation of our mind and our thinking so that we are able to see God face to face. How much, you see how much richer this understanding of repent is than limiting it to simply feeling bad so that God can forgive us. God is not calling us just to change our behavior, but calling us to a complete transformation of our consciousness. As the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The kingdom of God is present here and now. We just tend to ignore it. The Christian spiritual life is to be aware of this kingdom. Indeed, it means to make the consciousness of God's presence our everyday consciousness. Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God. We need only open our eyes and our hearts and then take off our shoes for the place we are standing is holy ground. That is the Tao of Christ for this week. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can find my blog, Spiritual Reflections, as well as a link to my books at marshalldavis.us. You can also find my email address on my blog site if you want to respond directly to me. Hope you join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ. Mm-hmm.